Bible family and our friends, our partners in the ministry, we are in the house. Praise God. We're in the house this morning, and we're so grateful for our musicians and who still know how to play. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, thank you for our praise and worship leader. Thank you, uh, Minister Heyman, and my lovely wife is in the building. Praise God. And our, our uh, members of our multimedia. And as we've said, uh, with an abundance of caution, we are gradually working our way back into the building and do ask you to follow the emails that you've been receiving uh, for the COVID-19 updates. I wanna thank God for the elders of this church. Uh, we have great elders. And I wanna just thank the Lord for their wisdom and uh, the unity that we have in our commitment to serve the Lord. We're definitely excited about all that God is doing, even in the midst of this pandemic. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people have died, yes, even into the millions. And so we're not out of the woods yet. And I really believe what uh, God says in his word, if my people who are called by my name, if we would humble ourselves and pray, seek his face, turn from our wicked ways, that we would, he would hear from heaven and he would heal our land. I believe God is trying to heal our land and to bring us to a place of repentance. And I don't believe that that repentance has occurred. We need to turn fully to the Lord. So I lift up those uh, around uh, this country in particular that are in a state of panic and disarray we want you to know that God is yet in charge, and he's simply trying to get your attention that you may turn fully to him. We also, as we prepare to turn our attention to the word of God, we want to invite you to continue to pray for one another. Reach out to your brothers and sisters in the Lord who you've not spoken to so that they may be encouraged. Even though we are scattered, the Lord said he is in the midst of us whether we are gathered or scattered. And he is fully in our midst when the word becomes flesh through our obedience to care one for another. We are also inviting our partners and the members of New Direction Bible Fellowship, partners throughout the world, that you would join us as we would move into phase one of our building a, 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 a part of the vision God has placed on my heart uh, to continue the ministry of making disciples that make disciples. We are building a learning center, uh, a family center that will provide training for parents. Uh, we'll have a biblical academy. Uh, God has blessed us with great teachers who are sound in doctrine and who are walking with the Lord. And he has called us to be a disseminating church, a training church, and so we are asking that you would participate by contributing to this first phase of our building project. And it's our hope that by uh, this time next year, we will be in our new, our new home uh, with your help. So begin to pray. Uh, God owns the cattle upon a thousand hills, and he also owns everything. The earth is the Lord's 
and the fullness thereof and all that dwell therein. And so we thank you and we bless you for your being directed by the Spirit of God. Now turn with me into the Word of God and uh, we're going to actually be looking at two passages of Scripture and I'm going to read the one that was not read today and we'll be going back and forth. Uh, Minister Haman ably read uh, the portion of Scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. But I want to read in your hearing 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, beginning in the third verse, as we continue our series I've entitled Break Free. Break Free. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is liberty. And to be free in the Lord means that we have been released from the power of sin and Satan so that we can serve him and others while reaching our full potential in Christ. Now let's read from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in the third verse. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Let us pray. Father, we bless you and we thank you that you have been good. You've been better than good. And so, Father, we want to lift up our voices to you because every praise belongs to you. And now, Father, we commit this time of sharing through the word into your hands that you might be the mouthpiece that would accurately cut straight the word of God. We ask this in the powerful, exalted name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Stop. <clears throat> Shadow boxing. One of my favorite pastimes growing up in North Philadelphia was fight night on Saturdays. And the special attraction for me included when the boxer was coming out of his dressing room and as he was making his way to the ring, you could hear his special music. And his trainers would be holding his shoulders, and he would be kind of jogging into the ring. And, and, and after he entered into the ring, and his handlers would uh, step away, the announcer would begin to announce the, the, the victories and the defeats uh, that the boxer had experienced in his career, and the crowd is getting uh, revved up, and everybody's getting excited. And then he would announce the boxer's name, Tony. Oh, I mean, he would announce the boxer's name, and then the boxer would uh, come out from his corner, and then he would begin to shadow box, and he would be jabbing and 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 and, and throwing hooks and uppercuts and so forth, and he'd be just bouncing around, and he would be watching his leg movement and his, the speed of his hands and how he would move his head from side to side and how he would duck to as if he was uh, 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 escaping uh, blows that were directed at him, and man, I was just that was amazing to me to see the type of physique and, and the skill set uh, that the boxer had developed in the gym. Now, there are two basic reasons for what the boxer was doing. What we call that action before the actual fight is called shadow boxing. That's not the fight. <laughs> 
that's the preliminary. And two reasons why shadow boxing is a part of the routine of the fighter once he enters into the ring. One, I believe, is intimidation. As his opponent is watching how forceful the blows are being thrown and the rapidity, uh, the speed of his hands and how, uh, how he can duck and dodge, uh, there would be the possibility, as you're looking at Mike Tyson in that corner, shadow boxing, that maybe you would be less confident uh, to give the fight your best effort. And the second reason is preparation. Uh, shadow boxing allow the boxer to warm up, to loosen up, to, to break a sweat. But as I've already said, loosening up and intimidating folk is not the fight. You can't win the bout shadow boxing. You got to get into the ring when the bell rings and actually throw some blows. Somebody say amen. That's why the apostle Paul had in mind, I believe, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26, when he says, so I run straight to the goal with the purpose, with purpose in every step. I fight to win. I'm not just shadow boxing or playing around. Let me, let me, that was from the, the Living Letters Bible. Here's how it is translated in the NIV. He says, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly without purpose. I do not fight like boxers beating the air. I don't lose all of my energy and give all my best effort in the corner, shadow boxing. Somebody say, Amen. Now, for those of you who don't know what shadow boxing is, let me just give some clarification. It's boxing against an imaginary opponent. It is a way that the boxer trains without getting hit. And what the Apostle Paul shares about imaginary opponents, that he doesn't waste his time fighting. He's, he's making reference to what goes on between his ears. And, and we're going to see uh, exactly what he means by uh, shadow boxing or, 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 or making the reference in to, to, to actual fighting is that what, he's, what, he makes he, what he alludes to is that too often Christians never actually get in the ring. We're so worn out from shadow boxing. We're so beat down from our tormented thinking that by the time a real battle is ready to be commenced, we have no effort nor interest in engaging in real spiritual warfare. Stop shadow boxing. Break free. Break free from fighting imaginary opponents, the ones that we can knock out every time, or the ones that we can go the distance with, only to be fighting the same opponent the next day. Stop shadow boxing. For whom the sun sets free, he's free indeed. Now, what did the apostle Paul mean? And I'm only going to share two thoughts. First of all, what the apostle Paul meant by shadow boxing. And secondly, how we can stop and overcome shadow boxing as a pattern in our lives. First of all, let me share what the Apostle Paul did not mean. The Apostle Paul was not speaking literally about training to become a professional fighter. The Apostle Paul was, was a theologian, not a pugilist. When Paul declared from his death row cell 
as the time of his departure from earth to heaven drew near, when he said, I have fought the good fight, he wasn't talking about a rumble in the jungle where he floated like a butterfly and stung like a bee. The Apostle Paul wasn't talking about a physical altercation where you get to use your, your knuckles and, and, and you get to see who the best man is with their fists. Paul understood like we must understand when it comes to fighting as a believer that our fight is not against flesh and blood but it's against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness and high places and, and spiritual forces and in heavenly places. And so our warfare is not against that which is physical, but we are fighting against an invisible foe. The Apostle Paul understood that the battle was spiritual. Now, the Apostle Peter didn't get the memo. Peter was more of a gangster than he was a preacher. We read about uh, when Jesus was being taken into custody by the guards of Caiaphas. And the first thing that, that Peter decided to do in Matthew 26, verse 51, the Bible said, I thought it was a knife. No, the scripture said he took out a sword. <laughs> now, can you imagine for three and a half years, he was being discipled by Jesus but he never stopped packing. And when Peter said, when Jesus said, all of you would forsake me, and he said, no, I won't, they may, he really meant it. But in his mind, he thought that meant that he would stand up for Jesus by hurting somebody. So he pulls out a shank, a, 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 a sword. And before the guards can even apprehend Jesus, he done sliced a brother's ear off. And Jesus said, put your sword away. They that live by the sword will perish by the sword. Those who don't understand that this ain't about shadow boxing. This ain't about temporal victories. This ain't about uh, uh, having something to talk about with your friends. They that live by the sword shall perish. And Jesus picked up the man's ear and he put it back in place. Peter didn't get the memo. Some of us haven't got the memo. That's why we can comfortably pour out, pour out, pull out four-letter words and take off our earrings and put Vaseline on and, and tie up our weed. We ain't getting that messed up. Because <laughs> we ain't that saved. The Apostle Paul helps us by reiterating in uh Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, he says, For though we are in the world, we do not fight or wage war as does the world. The weapons of our fight are not carnal, not worldly, not fleshly, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds, to the demolishing of strongholds, a stronghold the apostle was talking about are those destructive thoughts that become habits in our life, patterns in our life that torment us. He said the weapons of our warfare allow us to break down, to demolish, to devastate, to annihilate every thought that would prevent us from living the victorious Christian life. Now, we know what Paul didn't mean, that this battle was physical. When we, when we try to engage the enemy by what we can see and, and what we hear through our senses, we're shadow boxing. But when we understand what it really means to fight, as Paul explains, he said, I am not just shadow boxing. What he's doing is using a metaphor of, a, of physical boxing to illustrate how Christians should think as it relates to physical fighting, spiritual fighting, I should say. Just as a boxer does not waste his time and energy 
swinging at the air and fighting an invisible foe that does, or an imaginary foe that doesn't really exist. The Apostle Paul says Christians should not waste their time battling with thoughts that don't come from the Lord, exhausting ourselves with patterns of negative thinking that bring us captive and steal the joy of the Lord and robs us from experiencing the abundant life. Now, there are at least two major areas where we shadow box the most. And the first area is emotional shadow boxing. Living by our feelings rather than with them. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says, but the heart, the seat, the central headquarters of our emotions is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand the unpredictability, the tumultuousness of our emotions? Our emotions will keep us on a roller coaster. And so he says, you can't trust your feelings. I, I, I know I'm not denying that the feelings are real, but what I'm saying is that our real feelings can't be trusted when they're not based on the facts of the word of God. You can't trust your feelings when they are directing your life as the compass for where you're walking rather than allowing, as, the, as Paul says, we walk by faith, not by sight. And one of the ways that we trust our feelings more than we walk by faith is being fearful of man, the fear of man. Here's what the fear of man looks like. We want to be accepted by people. And we would rather obey and be liked by man than to, we would rather disobey God than to be rejected by man. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, it says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be kept safe. When we find ourselves allowing people to be bigger than God, we will find ourselves snared by the trap of man's approval. And there is no security in man's words. Bible says, fear not him who is able to kill your body, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both your body and soul and, 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 and to send you to a place called hell. Our safety is in the Lord. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. But when I take my eyes off of him and I allow man to be in the seat that God alone should occupy, I find myself entrapped, entangled in the web of bondage that leads me to disobey the God who died for me who was buried for me and rose. Aaron, the brother of Moses, feared people more than he feared God. When you get a chance in Exodus chapter 32, verses 23 through 24, Moses has been in the mountain receiving the commandments from God and down in the valley. The people say, what has happened to this old joker named Moses? He probably died. I know he didn't take any McDonald's or Burger King up there. So he's been up there for 40 days and 40 nights without food or water. The boy is dead. He done, he's, he, he, he done, he done, he done uh, kicked the coop. And so they go to Aaron and they say, make us an idol so that we can have a God to follow and, and we can have this God and say that he has led us out of Egypt. 
fearing people more than God, Aaron instructs the, the, the people to take off their earrings and the gold that God allowed them to leave Egypt with. Ain't it amazing how we will give the devil our best? And he made for them a calf formed out of gold. God sent Moses down from the mountain, and when he gets there, he says to Aaron, what have you done? And he says, this mighty man of God, he says, you know how these people are, how they're prone to do evil. They demanded that I, and he said, they gave me their gold and their silver, and I threw it into the fire, and out came a fully formed and fashioned God. What happens when we fear men above God? We will be more concerned about what people think than what God thinks. And one of the evidences of a person who is a people pleaser is that when God holds you accountable or when you are challenged about putting men above God, the first thing that Aaron did is the same thing that people do when they shadow box, is that they will blame others. You know how they are, Moses. And not only did he blame the people, he took no responsibility. He said, I just threw the gold and the silver in the fire. And look at the result. When you are a people pleaser, you will be held to account because the Bible says every one of us shall give an account for the deeds that we have done. We're going to give an account for what we have done. And we will not be able to blame others. And so the fear of man is one of the ways that we find ourselves emotionally shadowboxed. And here's another way that we emotionally shadowbox. The fear of failure based on a deep sense of inadequacy. I call this the Gideon syndrome. We have a I can't spirit. You've ever talked to somebody and they say, yeah, 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 but. As soon as they throw that in there, they done jumped into the Gideon spirit. Uh, you don't understand. I, I come from the smallest tribe. I didn't go to the best schools. I, I was raised in North Philadelphia, and, 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 and my dad wasn't a proud man. My dad wasn't wealthy. My, in fact, my mommy left me with all the buts, and I can't. The fear of failure is one way that we live in our emotions rather than with our emotions. He blamed his background for refusing to obey God. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, he says that our competence doesn't, that we are not competent in ourselves. My sufficiency, my adequacy, my ability to minister my ability to do anything that has eternal benefit is not because of any innate abilities that I have. The Bible says in the flesh it is impossible to please God. And all of our righteousnesses, the best that you can do, the best that I can do, are as filthy rags. And so we find that the competency to do the work it's not on our ability to succeed or to fail, but our ability comes from God. The ability to be successful comes from God. But when you operate in your emotion and you assess yourself based on your negative, poor self-esteem, you're going to always find yourself on the outside looking in, talking about why you can't do what God says you can. And not only you can, but you must because when God tells us to do something, it's not a multiple choice. It's not an option. It's not a time for a conference call. No, God is giving us a directive, an imperative, a command. And we must be obedient. We must be obedient to him. And so fear of failing. Here's another uh, area of emotional domination and, and, and where our, our feelings have become a stronghold. The fear of the unknown. This is the what if spirit. Maybe God will and maybe he won't. This is a spirit of doubt that is motivated by fear 
and it ties the very hands of God. The spirit of doubt, the spirit of, there, there are people who will never give you a definite yes or no. Their strongest yes or no is a maybe. And you know what that is biblically? That's doubt. And doubt strangles the blessings of God from flowing freely in your life. James puts it this way. He says, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Don't you believe for one minute that if you lack faith that you're going to receive anything from God? If you have a maybe spirit, if you have a doubting spirit, don't expect God to move your mountain. Hebrews, 6, Hebrews 11, 6 says, but it is impossible to please God for he that comes to God must believe that he is a rewarder of them, that, he, that God is, and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith sees the invisible as if it is visible. So fear of the unknown. When you live by your feelings rather than by faith, you're shadow boxing. Somebody say, amen. We see this over and over again. That people who operate in their feelings, you are stunting your growth and your spiritual development. You will never become all that God has intended for you to become. We don't want to be shadow boxing in our feelings. You'll find yourself exhausted you'll find yourself frustrated and overwhelmed by anxiety and remorse for what you could have and should have done. Stay with me. Amen. Praise the Lord. Here's a second area where we shadow box, mental shadow boxing. This involves living a Life of tormented negative thinking. There are what I'm, these are people who I call unbelieving believers. You're saved, but you don't have no faith. I'm talking about, Jesus said, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, I'm talking about there are Christians who don't even have mustard seed faith. There's some Christians who had just enough faith to get saved. And beyond that, they lived their Christian life in their own head by their own power. And their greatest potential for growth is carnality. That's the length and breadth and, and, and sphere of where they're going to grow. There will be baby carnal Christians for the entirety of their life. Now, I'm not saying that these are people who lack biblical knowledge. Oh, no, the Corinthians had every spiritual gifted teacher. They had all the spiritual gifts. They had uh, the apostle Paul who started the church, and yet Paul said, I could not speak unto you as spiritual, but I had to speak unto you as babes, yea, as unto you as carnal, because you're not prepared even at this time to receive the meat of the word but the milk. And now here's some evidence of, uh, a, of a person who lives a shadow box, boxing life in their mind as a Christian. You have reoccurring self-defeating thoughts. We see this in the example of the, uh, of the King Saul when he thought that David was getting more credit and, and, and likes on his Instagram than he was. And so the Bible says that Saul looked upon David with jealousy and resentment. And from the day he heard the women singing, David had slain his thousands and Saul his thousands. The scripture says from that day on, he had recurring negative, tormenting thoughts towards David. I want you to know that there are Christians who don't really believe I can do all things through Christ. They're Christians who have built a fortress of negative, defeated thinking over the years based on what they have been taught to believe about themselves 
that does not match what God has said about them. And so if you're a person who has reoccurring self-defeating thoughts, and they're not based on the word of God, I want you to know today that you're shadow boxing. You're wasting your time. You're missing opportunities. Your days are getting shorter. The, cl the clock is running out. Here's another example of somebody who, who is shadow boxing with their thought life or, or, or mentally. Relying on the words of people to determine your value rather than what God has said. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 16 that man looks at the outward appearance, but God is weighing your heart. God knows your character. God knows your value. It's not what you put on that determines your value. It's not your vocabulary that determines your elevation. It's not the car you drive or where you live or the sister you got slung on your arm or the brother that you call your husband. That does not determine your worth. Your worth comes from the Lord. The Bible says that we are complete in Christ. My fulfillment, my completeness, the entirety of my worth is based on my connection with the Jesus who died and gave him his life for me. I am complete in him. I'm lacking nothing in him. And I'm hidden by the grace of God that has been extended to us through Jesus. When you rely on the words of folks rather than the words of God, you'll find yourself paralyzed and unable to enter into the work that God has called you. Here's another uh, uh, area of mental shadow boxing, restlessness that comes from a spirit of perfectionism. This is a person who's tormented by perfectionistic thoughts, that is, unrealistic expectations of themselves and others. This kind of person is quick to judge and to criticize others, to find fault and to find reason why what others are doing is not up to standard. And often the reason that they're operating out of that spirit it's because someone told them that they had to earn love. Someone said you have to earn acceptance. Someone said you have to be better than, than good, be unconditionally loved. And that's really not unconditional conditional love. When the, the condition is perfection, none of us are perfect. How many of you know that? A person who wrestles with a spirit of perfectionism in their thought life cannot relax. And they make everybody around them uptight and feel, will make you feel guilty and shame because you know how to chill and they don't. They're uptight. They, 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 they laugh and feel guilty. I remember there was a time in my early life at seminary I felt like if I wasn't reading a book and writing a paper that somehow I was wasting time uh, taking, uh, taking care of my children or being attentive as a husband wasn't as important as earning a grade or, or looking studious. So I had to walk a certain way. I had to have more books in the library. I had to be reading 10 books at one time. And I had a spirit of perfectionism. I literally almost had a nervous breakdown trying not to sin in my thought life. Almost drove me crazy. Try not to look at things I shouldn't have been looking at. And think about things. The more I tried not to think about the elephant in the room, the more I thought about the elephant in the room. The more I was like Paul. Paul said, I know to do good, but the wretched man I am, when I try to do good, I do wrong. And when I want to do right, I still do wrong. Oh, wretched man am I. Who shall deliver me from this body of sin? And so there are people who are restless, who don't sleep well at night, who are Christians, who are thinking about what they didn't do, that one piece of grass they didn't pick up, that one phone call they didn't make, that one verse they misquoted. Spirit of perfectionism. Here's another example of mental shadow boxing that has become a stronghold. Somebody pray for the pastor. Amen. 
rehearsing past failures and hurts that may be real or imagined. Now, what's deep about the things that have happened to us, even when it's real that something happened, because we hold on to it with the spirit of bitterness and unforgiveness, we add to the story, and so the hurt is no longer simply based on what actually happened to us. We make some, we, we add some things to it. And so we give ourselves reason to be victims, and we suffer from imaginary wounds that were never inflicted. So as we, as we move on, we talked about what it means to, to, sh to shadow box spiritually. So let me share with you from the word of God how we can stop boxing, how we can stop shadow boxing so that we can break free. Here's the first thing that needs to happen. You need to write this down. You need, to, you need personal admission. Personal admission is needed. You need to acknowledge, the Apostle Paul says in chapter uh, 9, of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, so therefore I run not with uncertainty so that I can fight, not as to beat the air. He says, I had to acknowledge, I had to admit that there's a fight that needs to be fought, a real fight. And so if you are battling with the habit and stronghold of negative thinking and being dominated by your feelings, you need to admit that that's not the real fight. That's not the real battle. Admission is needed. You cannot live a victorious Christian life shadow boxing. You can go to your grave wasting your energy and effort, fighting an imaginary opponent in your brain, mad at people that never did anything to you, running when nobody's even chasing you. Always coming to a knowledge, but never to the truth. I don't care how many books you read, how many seminars you attend, you need to admit that you are shadow boxing when the direction of your efforts to overcome the enemy are not based on spiritual warfare, but you're trying to handle things in your flesh. Somebody say amen. A second thing that you need is spiritual admonition. Or ammunition, ammunition, A-M-M-U, ammunition. The weapons of our, of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Paul says, therefore put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And so in order for you to be successful, you're going to need to put on the armor of God. We already have it, but you've got to put it on. You must activate it. Somebody say amen. It's not just enough to know the right Bible verses. It's not just enough to get up off your knees after praying and fasting. You must put on, you must activate the armor, the admonition. Somebody say amen. You also need a third thing. You need biblical answers. Somebody say amen. Biblical answers are needed. Paul says we dem demolish, we annihilate arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. That means that you need to know the word of God. Peter says it like this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready to give an answer to every man who asks a reason of the hope that is within you with fear and in trembling. You need to commit this word to memory. The Bible says to hide the word of God in your heart. And so you need biblical answers. When the devil attacks your thought life, when the devil tries to make you trust your feelings rather than walking by faith, somebody say amen. Here's the fourth thing. Practical application is needed. He said, we take captive every thought 
to make it obedient to Christ. You can know the word. You can have the armor of God in place. But if you don't actively obey the word of God when you are being tempted to surrender to your feelings, you are the person who simply has heard the word, but you're guilty of not applying it. Paul says we take captive. You make a decision to apply the word. Anybody can talk about how good God is when you're not facing the fiery furnace. Anybody can praise the Lord at church. But how do you handle being attacked at work? How do you handle it when people don't like you, don't speak to you, don't care for you, when they intentionally try to harm you? Somebody say amen. Practical application is needed. We're almost done. Sometimes you need professional assistance. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6. He said, I will use these weapons against every rebel who remains after I have first used them on you yourselves and you surrender to Christ. Paul says, when a person continues to rebel and find themselves dominated by tormenting thoughts and strongholds as a Christian in their life, he said, I am going to intervene to help you to overcome your captivity. And so what he's saying is, Sometimes when you have been tormented by strongholds in your life and you have not been able to break free, you need help from something outside of yourself. Professional assistance is necessary. It does not mean that you are weak or, or, or crazy. Sometimes when you've been battling the same struggle all your life for 10 and 20 years and you find yourself still defeated, that means that you need the multitude of a counselor. You need more than one voice that can help you walk through so that you finally break through the bondage of shadow boxing, fighting against an imaginary enemy, against something that really isn't the, uh, the obstacle that God would have us to battle against. Are you still with me? Now, I shared with some of you, and I'm going to try to get through this, that some years ago, before my BC days, I was my grandmother's favorite child. And uh, I wanted to give her a birthday gift, so I didn't have any money. They didn't believe giving us any money back then. So I decided to, to steal my mother's watches. I didn't call it stealing, but I took four of my mother's watches. Now, in all of my natural days, I had never seen my mother wear a watch. She didn't wear watches, but she had four. And they were hidden, but I knew where the stash was. So I took them, and I gave them to my grandmother. Actually, I was going to give them to my grandmother. I put them on my ankle. And I got in bed, intending the next day to give these watches to my grandma. It's something about a woman who knows. They, women just know when their stuff is missing. I don't wear watches, but I know my watches are missing. I don't know how many times I've tried to throw things away that my wife wasn't using. Oh, Lord. <laughs> uh, somehow, some way. And, and, and so my mother comes home and she gets this feeling that something's missing. And she discovers that her watches are gone. And she decided to shadow box. That is, she picked on an imaginary opponent. She declared and decreed that it was my cousin Cephas. 
who had stole the watches. And so I watched uh, for over an hour and a half. My mother shadow boxed with my cousin Cephas, demanding that he admit that he stole the watches and that he returned them. Oh, God, did she beat him. <laughs> oh, I felt bad for my cousin. I couldn't believe it. Uh, I mean, she, she didn't miss a spot. She got every toe. And she got the ears and the back of the head. And she had chased him down, threw him down. And, and I was just feeling bad. It went on so long that she broke a sweat. And, 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 and I'm just lying in bed and feeling bad for my cousin. When somebody rang the doorbell, and my mother told me to answer the door, so I jumped up out the bed, forgetting about the watches on my ankle. And, and, and even though it was dark in the room, I want you to know women have the vision of a cat. She was able to see those four watches on my ankle, and she immediately leaped on me, hands and feet. But it was as if she slid down. She was so exhausted from having fought my cousin, beat, the, beat him up shadow boxing, that the real guilty party had gotten away without even being punished. I want you to know when you shadow box, when your focus is on an imaginary opponent called emotionalism, are strongholds called mental torment. You can become like Cain, filled with anger, and you shadow box in such a way that your anger causes you to kill an innocent brother named Abel. I want you to know when you're shadow boxing, you can become like Saul, so full with jealousy that you have eight, 85 priests murdered and their families killed. You can become like Samson, shadow boxing with a, with a stronghold of lust and spending your entire life chasing skirts and ending up blind and losing your life prematurely when you're shadow boxing. You can become like the servant who had one talent, and because he was afraid of being rejected, he buried his talent, shadow boxing. You can become like the woman of Samaria. She married five times and divorced five times, looking for love in all the right places or all the wrong places. I want you to know when your attention is on emotionalism and mental torment, you find yourself shadow boxing and captured and captured by strongholds that rob you of your freedom. Stop shadow boxing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you and we bless you. I'm going to